the Lord here today, I want to invite you to join me again in the book of Acts, chapter number 2, verse number 37. Acts chapter 2, we'll begin at verse 37. I'm going to finish what we started last week. Amen. The Bible says, now when they heard this, that this is the message that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, they were pricked in their heart, or we could say they were convicted in their heart, and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. What must we do to be saved? That's what I want to continue preaching on this morning. Amen. You can put your Bibles down and let's lift our hands. Father, we need revelation this morning to flow through this service in our hearts and our minds. God, without revelation, it's merely words that we hear. But when the Spirit grabs a hold of these words and opens up our understanding, God, then we will have hearts that will be ready to receive the word and obey the word in Jesus' name. Let's clap our hands and magnify the Lord. bless you as you're seated. What must we do to be saved? That is the question that people are asking. And I said last week, if they're asking the same question they asked 2,000 years ago, then it's the same answer that Peter gave. But before we go any further, we've got to realize that there is only one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. This translates throughout the entirety of the Old Testament. They knew him as Jehovah. And there were different manifestations of Jehovah. But Jesus literally means Jehovah is Savior. Throughout the Old Testament, it was Jehovah is Provider. Jehovah is peace. Jehovah is ban my banner. But when it came to Jesus or Yeshua, it's Jehovah is Savior. He is the Father in creation. He is the Son. And he is the Holy Ghost. You see, what's the difference between is one and are one? are in one and are one. Trinitarians believe that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are three manifestations and separate beings that are in the Godhead, such as three bottles of water that represent Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. You put them in a basket. They're in unity in something, but there's three separate manifestations. But we understand that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are 
one. Say, so how is that possible? Well, a human, a spirit, soul, and body. Are they three separate things? No. These three are one. They make up a being. And so you've got to, from the very beginning, understand that there is only one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and to all and in you all. Amen. I thought I'd get at least a hand clap. Come on, y'all going to make me work this morning. The second thing you've got to realize is everybody has to be saved. Not just some people. Everybody that's ever lived, the only perfect people, was Adam and Eve when they were created. They weren't born, they were created. And their will led them into sin. Aside from them, Jesus Christ. And beside him, there is no Savior. Every person has flaws that trace their roots back to the fact that you have a sinful nature. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All we like sheep have gone astray. And so we've got to understand, I need to be saved. You say, well, I do good. Good deeds do not equal salvation. Cornelius was a good man, prayed, gave, he was a giver, he gave alms. But he was lost. You can be the best moral person on the earth and still be lost. Because it's not about how moral you are. It's about getting rid of the sin out of your life. That sinful nature that wants to corrupt your very being. So salvation begins when you understand I need to be saved and that there is a God, not three gods, there is a God that can save me. If there were three, which one would be saving you? There's one God and that one God is my Savior. The disciples of John, as we discussed like last week, were believers because you first have to believe that he can do what he said he would do. You gotta have faith, but it doesn't just stop there. They, when they heard the word, that there was more than just repentance, they believed, they were baptized, and they, they received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And we have to understand that the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection as it applies to our life. Touch your neighbor and say, you've got to be born again. Jesus answered in verse 3 of chapter 3 of John and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus was hung up on logic. And he was trying to figure out this born again business. And the reason some people have not responded to God yet 
is because they're trying to figure out how it's all going to work. But God does not need your mind. He just needs your mouth. He doesn't need you to figure. That was my hang-up. took me seven years to get the Holy Ghost because I was trying to figure out how I was going to talk in tongues. I was so stuck on it. How can I speak in a language that I don't know that's not just me making a bunch of jibber-jabber up? And I'd feel the Holy Ghost. I'd get tears. I'd cry. I'd feel goosebumps. And I'd, get, I'd feel my tongue, what I call starting to get thick, where you can't control it, like, like dry mouth, like I got it right now. And I'd stop it, and I'd swallow. And I'd get my composure, and I'd, all right, let's go again. And I'd start praying. And I'd gotten that cycle, but it was, it was my mind trying to figure out what was happening. It was, it was analytical people are some of the hardest people to pray through because we have a hard time turning our mind off, figuring out how am I going to get the Holy Ghost or what happens if I pray and somebody comes and prays for me and I don't get the Holy Ghost. Because then you create a chronic seeker. That's just going to keep doing the same thing over and over and over. And so God doesn't need us to figure it out. He just needs us to believe. The one thing that got me is my youth pastor told me, you need to stop worrying about tongues. Because I was all I want to do was talk in tongues. He said, you're more worried about seeking tongues than you are seeking God. And so when I forgot about tongues and I just started seeking God and worshiping God, one day I heard myself just start speaking in this beautiful language as God filled me with the Holy Ghost. And I thought I wasted seven years that I could have already had this because I was trying to play God and figure out how it was going to happen. Nicodemus, you're not going to figure out all this stuff about being born again. He just needs you to believe. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh. In other words, you walk outside and you feel the wind, but you cannot see wind. Now, you can see the effects or the manifestation of the wind, but you can't see it or you can't point to a place of origin and say that the wind starts right there. He said, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. In other words, you're not going to be able to figure it out. You're not going to be able to comprehend how this thing works. So stop trying to put logic to what God never intended logic to be applied to. It's faith that he wants you to apply to salvation. So let's look at repentance. As I spoke last week, repentance is not just accepting the good news. It's not feeling sorry for your sins. It's changing your mind about your old way of life. Repentance starts with an inward decision and it manifests itself outward. It's not a feeling. People say, well, I don't feel different. Where in the Bible does it say you're going to feel repentance? Now, 
You'll feel the effects of a clean conscience whenever you get up and you confess to the Lord, but when you go back to it, it's going to come back again. So repentance is a decision that you make to go the different direction. Bible says in Exodus 13 and 17, and it came to pass that Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war. He was not talking about them getting a feeling. He was saying, if they see war, they'll change their mind. And when they change their mind, they'll change their direction and they'll go back to their old lifestyle. So repentance is a change of direction. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You gotta realize, God has more mercy than there is sin. Think about that. When that mercy seat was being carried on that ark, if you remember, it had two cherubims that come up to the top who's, who were arched over. It was top heavy. So we could say it was top heavy with mercy. Because if there's anything that God does not have a shortage of, it's mercy. We have a shortage of mercy. Clap your hands as hard as you can and loud as you can right now. We have a shortage of mercy. God does not have a shortage of mercy. We will write somebody off. The only time you see God is the Bible says that he'll turn somebody over to a reprobate mind. But that's not him giving up on them. It's that person choosing the direction that they're going to go. But God's got an abundance of mercy. And he gives, a, he, said, he said, if any man sin, he have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. For there is one mediator between God and men. It's the man, Christ Jesus. And so if we mess up, we have opportunity to come to God and receive forgiveness. Amen. If God executed judgment immediately we'd all be dead but because there's not immediate repercussions people have not repented yet this is what Ecclesiastes 8 and 11 says because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil because there's not immediate judgment. Men think, well, I did this once and nothing happened. I stole a piece of candy once and I didn't get caught. But you keep going and eventually judgment will meet you. So you gotta repent. Everybody say you gotta repent. God can forgive, but it's people that have a hard time forgiving themselves. If you think about it, Judas had ample time to repent. 
example. When he betrayed the Lord, he didn't die right there. He still had opportunity, just like Peter. Peter wept and found a place of repentance. God will give you a span of time to repent. But once we repent or we die out, the next step, according to Acts 2.38, is being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. When we are baptized, we literally, we are we put on Christ. The Bible says in Galatians 3.27, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We are buried with Christ in, in baptism. So why is it absolutely essential to be immersed in water? Because death is burial. How many... Let's just say if I pass away and I'm brought to a graveyard and they just set me, my body, on top of the ground and they take a handful of dirt and throw it on me. Am I buried? I'm not. I was sprinkled with dirt. And so it is in the spirit. If you just sprinkle somebody, how did you bury that person in the spirit? You didn't bury that person in the spirit. The only way to bury is you have to go fully under something. And so water represents that. It, 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 there's nothing about Sandy Lake water that's going to save your soul. It's all what it represents. Amen? It represents that I am dead to my old life. And when I come up out of that water, I've taken on the name of Jesus Christ. Everything Jesus did served as an example. And the Bible says in Matthew 3.16, and Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. So if Jesus understood that I've got to be baptized and it can't be sprinkled. It's got to be in the water. Then how much more should we follow that same example of baptism? Amen. He that believeth, Jesus said. Remember, believing is the first step. And is baptized. That represents water baptism and spirit baptism shall be saved. Acts 2.38 says in the name of Jesus Christ, you've got to be baptized. Remember, that's the standard. That's the first plan of salvation for the New Testament church. It's the only plan of salvation for the New Testament church. And so we've got to see what did they do. They followed it. Samaritan believers were baptized in Acts 8.16 in the name of the Lord Jesus. Cornelius' household in Acts 10, 48, in the name of the Lord. Disciples of John in Acts 19 and 5, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Now this is Jesus. That's some red letter words. 
Amen. Stand with me right now. I want us to take a moment and begin to worship the Lord all over this building. I want you to lift your hands. God, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. God, I want my mind to be open to this word. I want my heart to be open to this word, God. I don't, it doesn't matter how many times I've heard this. I need to know this word. I need to know this truth. Amen. Clap your hands. You may be seated. So Jesus said you need to go baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And if you remember, Jesus said all power is given unto me. The Father doesn't have all power. The Son don't have all power. The Holy Ghost doesn't have all power. Because they would have to divide all power between the three if there were three. So none of them would be able to say that they had all power. You following me? All right. Let's look at the titles. In John 5, 43, Jesus said, I am come in my Father's name. So what's the name of the Father? Jesus. In Matthew 1, 21, the angel spoke of the Son, said, Thou shalt call his name Jesus. So the name of the Father is Jesus. And the name of the Son is Jesus. But in John 14, 26, Jesus said, The Holy Ghost whom the Father will send in my name. So what's the name of the Holy Ghost? Jesus. So the Father is Jesus. The Son is Jesus. And the Holy Ghost is Jesus. So how can all three have the same name? It's because all three are the same thing. Jesus is the Father. He's the Son. He's the Holy Ghost. There is no division in the Godhead. There is simply one in the Godhead. Amen. Matthew did not write his gospel. Think about this. Until A.D. 62 was when the book of Matthew was written. He was making a theological statement about the oneness of God that had been confirmed by 30 years of the church baptizing every convert in the name of Jesus Christ. So for, for 30 years, they had been baptizing everybody in the name of Jesus by the time he penned those words. So why would he write something that would contradict what the church had been doing for 30 years? Baptism is absolutely essential for salvation. John 20, 23, whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. But the church does not have power to forgive sins. Only Jesus does. So what does this verse mean? It means whoever we baptize in his name has their sins remitted or washed away. And whoever we don't baptize still has their sin. 
Let me tell you, it's not in who does the baptizing that matters. Because if you read that book, Bible says Jesus hardly baptized anybody. The disciples baptized them. So, it doesn't matter who puts you under, but it matters what name you go under. If you go down in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, then you did not remit anything because there was no name applied to that debt. You got to think of it like this. There's three major well, there's probably four, but let's just say, let's just say uh, Visa, MasterCard, and American Express. You go to some place and you pull out them, you have a bill, you have a debt that you owe, and they pull out an American Express and they'll say, I'm sorry. We don't take American Express. In other words, what you're trying to apply to the debt, we don't take. So the debt is still there. And when somebody is baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, that transaction is not valid in heaven because God's saying, I don't take that. That debt is still there. Those sins are still there. But when you take the name that went to Calvary and offered that spotless blood and you go down in the name of Jesus, you come back and that cash register accepts that transaction because the name was applied to what you owed. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ Jesus was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Amen. Clap your hands unto God. I'm trying to keep everybody awake this morning. So let's talk about the Holy Ghost. We've got repentance. We've got baptism. But God would not leave you dead and buried because he is the author of hope. And what hope does someone have if they stay in the grave? Let me tell you, only God can give the Holy Ghost. That's it. If I could give it, I'd give it to everybody. I used to get so frustrated with myself when I would pray with people and they wouldn't get the Holy Ghost because I thought it was me. But I learned that if I blame myself when they don't get it, I'll take credit when they do. And it has nothing. Now, I believe we should believe. Believe I should have faith that somebody's going to get the Holy Ghost. But I could pray with them for hours. But if, if they don't get it, it's not my fault. It's something between them and God that God knows more than I know. When, that, when they went that morning, the stone was rolled away out of that grave that Jesus was in. And he was ascended. Men didn't roll the stone. Because that would indicate men had a part in the resurrection process. 
It was fully a divine thing because only God does the resurrection process. The Holy Ghost is a, is a spirit. We use the term uh, ghost, but it's a, it's a spirit. Now, I know today everybody's trying to get politically correct and they're saying the Holy Spirit is the Holy Ghost. I got that KJV. It's always going to be the Holy Ghost. But it is a spirit. It is the presence of God that comes into your life to change and to restore. But Jesus said you're going to receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. But when you receive that power, there's a reason. Because he wants you to be a witness of what he did in your life. I believe when someone receives the Holy Ghost, there's going to be evidence that they received the Holy Ghost. There's going to be people that they used to associate with that are going to look at them and say, what in the world happened to you? There has to be. Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6.14 in God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. The new birth experience is designed to let your old life die and be buried and to give you a new life by the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. It takes the Holy Ghost to get us to heaven. Repentance is my action in response to the gospel. Baptism is my action in response to the gospel. But the Holy Ghost is God's action in response to the gospel. God doesn't do it all. You got to start the process. And God's going to finish the process. Jesus, Jesus rose from the grave in a glorified body. He didn't need the stone rolled away to get out of the tomb. He, he, under, he understood that this is a divine thing. He understood that this reaches beyond what man can do. But the stone was rolled away as a sign to us. Think about it. Just think about this. If they went to that tomb and the stone was in place, but Jesus wasn't there, how would they know? Okay? He didn't need the stone to be moved to get out of the grave. He walked through a door or he walked through a wall. He could have done anything. He could have just got up and ascended and, and the grave stayed perfectly intact. But there had to be an outward sign that there was a resurrection. And I've heard people say, I'll say, well, how do you know you're saved? And they'll say, well, I don't do this no more and I, I don't do that no more. And, and, and I, that's repentance. You can make up your mind to stop drinking Cokes and you can stop drinking Cokes. Because that's a wheel. But that doesn't mean that you got the Holy Ghost because you changed. There's got to be an outward sign that there's been a resurrection. And so he said in his word that tongues are not a sign for the believers but for the unbeliever. 
Because when that person hears themselves, can't go by a feeling because you can feel God in a service and not have the Holy Ghost. We can get it cranked up and have enough prayer. You can walk in here and your goosebumps have babies. You can feel God. But that doesn't mean you got it. But there's a sign when somebody hears themselves begin to speak in tongues that they've never learned. That's that stone being rolled away as a sign that a resurrection has just happened in that. Friend, I don't know about you, but what convinced me that I got the Holy Ghost is when I heard myself speak in other tongues. It wasn't a feeling because I felt God before. It was when God began to roll that stone away and he began to move in my heart. Oh, hallelujah. Wherefore, I give you to understand in 1 Corinthians 12 and 3, that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. It takes that revelation. It takes that understanding when the Holy Ghost gets in you and you realize that there is only one Savior. The baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues is the original experience of the New Testament church. And that is our pattern. References to the plan of salvation can be found everywhere in that book if you just look. In John 1 and 12 and 13, Jesus said, but as many as received him. All right, stop there. What did Peter say you're going to receive? The Holy Ghost. So you're going to receive something. To them gave he power. What Jesus say in Acts 1 and 8. But ye shall receive power after you receive the Holy Ghost. Even to them that believe on his name. How do you believe on his name? Which were born. Born what? Born again. Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Notice that there are three parts to our salvation experience. First, we have to receive the Lord into our hearts through repentance. That's what opens the door. If you don't repent, the door stays closed. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. But it's up to you to open the door. It's up to you to receive him and welcome him in. What is that door? That door is your will. If you don't open that door, open your will, then God's just going to keep knocking. Second, we must believe in such a way that it invokes the name of Jesus over our life. That's not just believing right here. That's showing our belief by baptism. And then we must allow God to give us the power to change, which is the Holy Ghost. And it's then and only then that we are born again. Understand with me today that God is not interested in your denomination. He's not. God did not create the Pentecostal church. He did not create the UPC, the ALJC. He didn't create organization. He's not interested in what church you go to. He's interested in your experience 
as it pertains to salvation. Now, once you are saved, according to Acts 2.38, I wholeheartedly believe that you need to align yourself in a truth-preaching church. A truth, not, not a denominational church because your parents were in it, because your family was in it. A truth-preaching church. I'm thankful to be a part of a truth-preaching church because it's only truth that is going to get us to heaven. Amen. Stand with me all over this house. What must we do? Musicians, you can come. What must we do? But I'm going to tell you. The Bible tells us that we've got to be renewed in our minds. You come to this altar, you repent of your sins. You get buried in Jesus' name, baptism. You receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's not it. That's not all there is to it. That is literally in the spirit a baby being born. And when, when you have a baby, what mother would take that baby and just set it there and walk away and say, all right, I'm done? No. It's not how it works. That baby has to learn. It has to grow. It has to mature. That's why the Bible says grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace is the ability to grow because if grace was not in our life, we'd meet judgment when we were babies and, and, and we would be doomed. But God says, I'm going to give you grace to grow. What's that mean? That means we're going to mess up. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to do things we probably wish we wouldn't have done. But there's an altar we can come to. Now, does that mean I got to be baptized and rebaptized every time I mess up? Absolutely not. That's what grace is for. Grace is nothing more than a fresh application of the blood in your life. When you go to God and ask for forgiveness, grace and mercy, apply that layer over your life and you can just keep moving. You don't have to be born again every single time you mess up. You don't go back to being a spiritual baby every time you mess up. There's grace. There's mercy. Amen. I want us to come to this altar today all over this building. If you're here and you just need to get your heart right with God, I'm inviting you. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, I'm inviting you. 